Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And I guess I guess we're doing an audible, Brian. I had this nice show planned out. It was going to potentially set us up for future shows. Uh, and then I, I guess I just didn't look at the schedule. We sat down to record and they just started throwing MH2 previews at us. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, we we are adapting in the the most listener friendly way possible. We're audible into a bigger show. We're still going to do the show we had intended. We're just adding a bunch of stuff to it. So I don't think anyone's going to be mad about that. Um, although there's always somebody mad about everything. Like <laughs> if you give them three hours of a, a free show that you're just putting out there, someone will be like, I wish it was an hour. Okay. Well, I, I'm sorry, that person. It's, it's probably not going to be an hour this week. In my mind, I had planned, now that we have these previews, I had planned on condensing the the historic portion of the show uh, and just doing like the cliff notes the quick run through yeah, do you think you you'll know? be successful at that because anytime we try and condense anything we are almost always unsuccessful i'm gonna try i'm gonna try so initially i thought that that would take up the entire hour possibly more than that we would talk about all these cards coming up in historic anthologies five or at least the the ones that we think are relevant maybe talk about like some decks there's also the thoughts oracle ban that we could get to mm-hmm. and talk about the ramifications there. Mm-hmm. Instead, man, I, I just want to like go through it real quick. And if we get it down to 30 minutes, I'll be happy. Okay, let's see what we can do. Look, there's going to be, uh, I think, a just absolute barrage of new cards coming on the next few weeks, months, whatever of the Arena Decklist podcast. The release schedule Decades. is fast and furious now. Uh, and I don't think that's going to let up until we move through kind of these two simultaneous sets that are releasing today we are covering historic anthologies like you said uh so that that's one set how about we then move to modern horizons 2 for set number two and also somehow there were D standard set spoilers today so we're covering previews basically from three different sets right now that you can't yet buy but are coming soon and that is mind-blowing stuff yeah uh historic anthologies may 27th and when does the when does the band go live for Oracle? Should be out now. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm pretty sure it's up on Arena right now. Uh, as you okay. can imagine, I I didn't rush to the queues to immediately get games in. Although I guess we could just like I think there's only really one thing to talk about when it comes to the Oracle ban, and that's is packed still a deck. And I I am leaning towards yes, but a like much lower tier deck. And I was curious where you fall on that question. Yeah, you can still do the same combo with Jace Wielder of Mysteries. Obviously, the mana is way more prohibitive. Jace costs triple blue. It's twice as expensive as Thassa's Oracle. And how that changes how you should build the deck, like, I'm I'm not really sure. Obviously, you, you don't have the thing where you can just, like, turn three combo someone if you have a Mind Stone or Cold Steel Heart or whatever, right? Yeah. So I think Jace means that you know, step one, you can't play Luris. Step two is your combo slower. So maybe you have to be slower and prepare to play like these longer games and things like Mystical Dispute were okay against you, but now it just like almost always tags a part of your combo. Yep. So things like that get a lot better. Uh, the aggro decks get a little bit more time to build up. Uh, is it Phoenix gets a little bit more time to put a clock on you, sculpt her hand, maybe you know, find a memory lapse or a mystical dispute or something. So I think the deck slows down a fair bit and isn't 
going to be necessarily good at playing those longer games. Yeah, I, I think in, the inconsistency in it manifests more over those longer games. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's not just like, oh, you play like all the good one and two mana cards. Now it's like, oh, I have to play like Languish and Yehenny's Expertise and like just these like slower cards because you know that the game is going to get to like turn four, turn five, turn six, and you can't rely on just like Grim Tutor combo you against Gruul, for example, right? Like you actually right. have to deal with their stuff and then combo kill them. So I think the deck gets weaker. It still, it still seems very good to me, though. Yeah, I, I think it's still playable. Definitely moving down a tier. And uh, I don't know. I, I am frustrated because I, I didn't buy Tainted Pack because I wanted to play a tier three deck. Like I, I bought it because it was the best deck. And I end up with the Shaft yet again. And uh, I... I just think this system is long-term unsustainable for Arena's economy. It it asks for so much of you, and I pay it. I'm I'm the idiot out there forking over my my money for gems uh, to keep a full collection, but they they make it feel so bad over and over. Where I'm just like, should I just play Magic Online instead? Like, do I really need this Arena account? And if I'm asking that question, I don't know. I, I think other people probably should ask the same question. Yeah, I don't think it's it's too outlandish. Um, I played some Magic Online, I don't know, less than a week ago. I like did a random stream in the Discord and it only it didn't it didn't last very long. I only played two rounds, you know, because I got my ass kicked. But it was still just like, oh yeah, the ease of uh getting cards from uh the card hoarder borrow system and just like getting in there playing some of the older cards my turn was done i gave the cards back and it was just like it didn't cost me anything yep. basically just the entry clean and simple you can actually come out ahead theoretically on magic online i mean not that i ever will just because i will drop a tournament at a moment's notice but theoretically i could and yeah. i used to so like uh, i don't know there's a there's a lot of appeal there and uh i i think it's time to consider the way the economy is being managed if historic's going to remain a large part of like the broader consciousness and the if, if, if it's a real format that we're supposed to care about then something's got to give i agree i mean we do it for content or at least i do that's 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 my rationale behind right. it and right. i've written about historic a, a decent amount of times in the last couple of months so that has translated to me having things to write about and i think that it is something that you know, people, maybe they don't necessarily care about it, but they will read about it, right? Like Cedric hasn't fired me for writing about historic or anything. So presumably the numbers are okay. Yeah, I don't, I actually don't know. I don't know what the numbers look like for historic articles. That's not something we've talked about. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I'll definitely get that data next time we speak. Yeah, we have uh, this historic anthologies five set. The last one was kind of lukewarm. This one's a little bit better. And it, it, I don't know, got dragged out over like a week or so and then they just dumped everything on us which is you know fine i'm completely okay with that system for previewing cards but it got me wondering how we could go a go about best talking about these cards and that got me thinking about just like the set reviews that we do in general and then i started thinking about like well maybe we just make a tier list type of thing where it's not like you know, A tier, B tier, C tier, et cetera. But it's just like, we can have specific buckets for these type of cards where it's like, this card is awesome, but it's only going to show up a little bit. And then, you know, we can talk about how something like uh, Showdown of the Scalds is like A plus or broken or like whatever you want to talk about it. 
And then, you know, could have like overrated, underrated, stuff like that. And so I kind of separated the anthology's five cards into these different tiers or buckets. Uh, the chat is absolutely over the moon about buckets coming up two weeks in a row in the magic space. Oh, so yeah. Buckets are just true. the absolute hotness in magic right now. So, but I, I really like the system you've come up with. Uh, I, I want to try it doing this particular set this way but i also think i want to try our next full set this way because we've always talked about how like the top 10 lists are they're just a framework they're just designed to spur conversation and get us talking about the things that actually matter but they're not the best way to do that and we've always been very aware of that fact and been very open about that fact uh but this setup seems like it kind of gets to the truth a little bit more and what actually matters. So I, I am curious to hear what responses to this kind of framework and if it's something we can carry forward uh, with future set reviews. What I want to do, and this this was my, eh, I, I guess it wasn't like my big goal because I didn't think about it until after the fact, until after I decided to do this, but like if we could make, uh, like go on tier list maker or whatever, mm -hmm. and maybe like the day after the episode comes out, you can just like share the tier list of, the set that we came up with yeah, on social, yeah. I think, I think that that could potentially be really I like that a lot. Good idea. And maybe we don't necessarily have to use that website and could make our own, but that, that sort of stuff is, it's like not too complicated, but I feel like I'm just missing something as far as the quickness and ease that I should be able to put graphics together. I feel like I'm just missing some trade secret. You know, I don't think you're missing something. I think you have something that is working against you. And that's like 10 boomer years where you just like don't have that natural ease of doing all this stuff. And it takes you a little bit longer and you have to learn these systems. And I fall under the exact same category. We just don't have the uh, Internet finesse that we should to be active participants in the sphere. I was born a decade too early or a decade too late, and I can't decide which one. That's interesting. Why do you think it might have been a decade too late? I could see the decade too early argument. Absolutely. I often feel that way. But the decade too late, I'm very curious about. Uh, basically, I feel like so, you know, hitting uh, like 25, 30 while all the Internet stuff is like popping off, but like not getting to you know, it's peak form with like all the social media and stuff. It's like being 30 and then trying to get into, you know, like Snapchat and TikTok and like all, like all this stuff is just like so foreign. Whereas I feel if I was born a decade earlier, I could have just straight ignored all of it. Okay. And I didn't have to care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get what you're I saying. I could have just, I could have been blissfully ignorant and still had like a pager. Right. And who cares? Yeah, we are in kind of that awkward spot where we exist between the two waves of technology. So I, I see what you're saying there. Also, like, I wonder if I was of like mature age when this stuff really does come to fruition, if I could have a hand in shaping it, a bigger hand, because like it just kind of happened around me and it wasn't so much something where it was like my professional life had anything to do with it. So that's an interesting thing to argue if I had been born 10 years earlier too. I think if I was born uh, 10 years later, then I would have been doing computer stuff in school, probably mm -hmm. would have learned how to code, yep. would, you know, understand graphic designs and like video editing like that. That would have been the stuff that I would have been interested in. But like trying to take like a really passionate interest in something like that when you're like 30 is just like, well, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting from my side because I 
did start coding when I was four, actually. I had an Apple IIe and I used to have my mom go to the library and they'd have books where you it would teach you literally how to code a program onto your Apple IIe. And it was like, I don't even know what the, the language was, but I loved it. And it's all I wanted to do. And I borrowed these two books on coding for your Apple IIe from the library like 50 times. Uh, but that was it. There was nothing else for me. There was nowhere else for me to go. There was no internet for me to learn more. Right. And then I, I moved away from that library, actually. I moved from Long Island to upstate New York. And then there was nothing. And there was no access to this stuff whatsoever. And it just completely faded out of my life. Yeah, man. Could have been you. Could have been me. That's part of the problem, though, is that like the, the OS is just you know, graduate and some of them get outmoded mm -hmm. and you're just jumping from like language to language. And I think if I could have just like settled on something that was like reasonably, you know, I don't know about like popular or whatever, but like had some longevity, I guess, then I would have been more apt to do those sorts of things. Right. All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah, 15 minutes. We haven't talked about anything, by the way. Just, just yeah, so we're clear. In, in, in the interest of like actually doing the podcast, I suppose we should move on. Sure. So, uh, Historic Anthologies 5 is, I don't know, something like 25 cards. And I am, I'm going to come up with better names for these buckets. And this is basically why I don't think like a tier list works or like a top 10 list works is because. I have them separated into uh, like the top tier would be like, you know, S tier, broken, whatever. So like, you know, completely busted thing. Next one is is solid A, like is is going to see a lot of play, maybe only in specific archetypes. Um, but, you know, something like Brainstorm would go in the first category, even though it's not inherently broken necessarily, right? But it's like, it's going to see so much widespread play. And the second one is like is going to see a lot, but only specific homes. Next one is role player, which is like very, very niche homes, but is definitely good in those homes. Uh, have a thing for potentially broken, which is where like our honorable mentions come in yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. And then last one is just overrated, just because I feel like people like that category, myself included. I think these are all great. The the different change for the first category, the broken S tier category. Maybe it's like format shaping or format changing is a better way to put it than broken because Brainstorm obviously is a format changing card. And I, I don't think the the solid A's fundamentally change the format. I don't think they make it look different. Um, that's true. So maybe that's our break point. OK, so we can say the the S tier thing is format defining. I think that that's a solid way to put sure, it where it's yeah. like a lot of the cards that would go in that list are one, you know, if we're talking about the last set, right? Um, or I guess not Strixhaven because that didn't have any cards in it, but uh, the one before it with like Goldspan Dragon mm -hmm. showed it under the skull. It's like those would have been format defined yep. cards, right? Yep. Uh, so then Solid A, what, what do you call that? Because I didn't have a good name for that. <sighs> You're gonna have to come back to me on that one. I, I, don't, I don't have any way to rephrase that at the moment. Uh, just like... These are the large scale players probably going into existing decks, maybe moving things up a tier, but not really changing the landscape. Yeah, that's that's a very right, long winded but... way of saying like the same. Okay, thing so now condense says. that, condense yeah. that to two words. No, come, anyway, come back to me on that one. Format defining doesn't exist in in this set. Does not. I think that I think that some people might disagree, and maybe we'll get into the overrated category, but. 
Uh, for, for the solid A's, I have four cards. Those are Relic of Progenitus, Kolagon's Command, Dramoka's Command, and Grizzly Salvage. I'm sure you have some stuff to say about these because you wanted me to move Grizzly Salvage down. Well, look, I, I, I love Grizzly Salvage. Uh, it's a card that has a special place in my heart. I think it's extremely powerful. The flexibility of it being an instant is something people overlook all the time. Five cards deep is really good graveyard velocity. So I, I do believe in this card. I think it's extremely powerful. I just don't see where it exactly moves any existing decks up a tier, and I don't think it creates any new decks. So while it's an abstractly powerful card, I'm not sure I have an immediate home for it. And this is a format that benefits from extremely good velocity in a lot of ways. You already have Stitcher Supplier uh, as a way to just do graveyard velocity. But if you are also getting access to Faithless Looting and Brainstorm, I would argue you don't need to care as much about graveyard velocity because you can just make actual deck velocity and move through all your cards that quickly in the case of faithless looting you can convert that to various zones at will so I, i'm not sure that grizzly salvage actually achieves much for these existing decks but there, there's a lot of good cards that combine with it so i don't have any problem with this being at the low end of this range or extremely close to this range i think it's right on the border to being one of our solid days okay i'm gonna put i think two deck lists in our uh live chat channel and these are not, uh, maybe I'll just put another deck in there too. These are not like, oh, this deck is like obviously busted, but I think that people are potentially thinking about it in a weird way. And I, I certainly started thinking about it this way when I sat down to write this article I wrote about Selfish this week. Mm -hmm. And when, when I initially concepted the article, I envisioned a lot of unburial rights deck lists yeah. being in, in my article. Yep. And it, it just morphed, man. As I was building decks, I just built more and more Witherbloom Apprentice decks. Yeah, well, that's an interesting application for this card. And what we're looking at here, I'm just going to read it off real quick just so our listeners could get it. Uh, four Witherbloom Apprentice, four Dreadhorde Arcanist, four Croxa, four Thoughtseize, four Inquisition, four Abundant Growth, two Bloodchief Thirst, two Pillar of Flame, three Claim, four Grizzly Salvage, two Colgan's Command, one Cling to Dust, bunch of lands, Blooming Marsh, Blightstep Pathway, Overgrown Tomb, uh, oh, geez, yeah. you moved it on me, Jerry. Stomping Ground, Blood Crypt, all four elves. One Dragon Soul Summit, one Swamp. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to, like, read, you know, the entirety of the deck list, but it's just, like, the the gist, right? It's, like, you start looking at Grizzly Salvage in these Dreadhorde Arcanist shells, and obviously it fuels Croxa really well. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, Salvage Uro has a pedigree in Pioneer, and obviously Uro's not here, but like you can still use Croxa and Salvage is a card that kind of just fits in these decks for a lot of reasons. Like you just use that to deposit twos in your graveyard for claim fame and stuff like that. Yeah, this looks solid. Uh, I, I mean, you have a lot of graveyard vulnerability without any huge payoffs. And we've worked a lot with decks with huge payoffs from the graveyard. You know, you were doing your Mizzix Mastery stuff. So this is like sort of small ball and. I, I'm not sure that when you don't have access to your graveyard, this is doing quite enough that I'm comfortable playing the smaller graveyard role, especially when like another card we're talking about getting into the mix is Relic of Progenitus, another very powerful piece of graveyard hate when Cling to Dust is already a very important card in the format. So there's some limiting factors here, I think, that 
really prevent me from going all on in this archetype. But if you move away from that type of graveyard control, or you float a little bit more towards the middle, which I see you have more deck lists that are doing a little bit better job getting on the battlefield with things like Sedgemore Witch, uh, or just even Silver Smoke Ghouls that you can hard cast if you have to, there, there are some real options where you can kind of split the difference and play both sides of the coin. So yes, Graveyard Hate exists, but at the same time, like when you're so when you were playing Rakdos, it was like, well, I'll play some more braids, maybe some feed the swarm, whatever. When once you're green black, you just have so many options. You do. You do. In order to fight Graveyard Hate. So they, like Relic is obviously very good against you, but it's like you kind of push them to pop it, and then you just cast a salvage and you're back in it, right? And then in the case of Rest in Peace, you have Wither Bloom Command, Assassin Trophy, Vraska is another card that showed up in some of my deck lists. So. Uh, the, the thing I like about this, like the Sedgemore Witch version, is that you have Wither Bloom Apprentice and uh, Cling to Dust to maybe return Silver Smoke Ghoul. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I went down some rabbit holes. I have like a zombie infestation deck, which is obviously way more, you know, graveyard centric with Unburial Rites and Crater of Behemoth. And then. Uh, I made like a Jun Phoenix deck where it's like, okay, yeah, this is probably actually legit. So, uh, there's only one question I have, and that is Lingering Souls. When it's got to be just a matter of time, right? Like, it's such a perfect card for this format. It is, and you know, like Unburial Rights Thrag Tusk doesn't kill people the way it used to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it used Thrag Tusk used to be the great catch-all. Your opponent's like playing Planeswalkers, or they're attacking you, or you're grinding. It's just like, boom, you reanimate a Thrag Tusk, all your problems are probably gone, right? Because now you have this battlefield that's hard for them to remove, which means you're going to be able to attack the Planeswalkers. And now it's just like... Yeah. Yeah, and now it's like they play a Teferi or a Nissa, and you Thrag Tusk them, and it's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, No one cares. So in order to do like this fair mid-rangey unburial rights thing, you like you need a really good target and Thrag Tusk isn't that anymore. So I just don't think that those decks work, but uh, Crater of Behemoth is almost certainly the best reanimation target. And when building a fair, you know, salvage unburial rights, Crater Hoof deck, Lingering Souls was definitely missing. Seder Wayfinder was definitely missing. You just needed yeah. these bodies around to make Crater Hoof good. So yeah, any, anything in, in those veins would be awesome. I think Lingering Souls would make it so looting would see play in these fair decks because yep. uh, right now like, you have nothing to discard for value. So uh, I think Souls will be a big, big game changer. Definitely in my top five uh, of cards, I really want to see hit historic. Now that all bets are off and we can basically do anything, uh, Delver and Lingering Souls are at the very top of my list right now. Uh, Delver would be cool. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be down for that. I don't know if it'd be any good. I, I mean, either. obviously, brain, Brainstorm helps a lot. Maybe Seagate Restoration helps, but it would be sweet. Yep. Uh, Relic of Progenitus, very good. Uh, through the MPL weekends, some of the Jeskai decks are playing main deck Rest in Peace, which is obviously just a pretty poor card to draw, even if your opponent is like slightly using the graveyard. Like You just invest so much mana and a card into it, where now people could just main deck Relics yeah. if they wanted to, and I think that that's huge and uh you want to talk about Kolagon's command like that showed up in one of my deck lists uh well i think the hype around this card i think a lot of people would probably say this is the most important card in the set um it's got a good pedigree play all the way back to legacy i would say modern defining for a long time i kind of think 
it's not going to do that much in this format. I, like, I think it's fine. I think it's going to be a role player. And I, I think this also is actually probably closer to that border range of role player than something like Relic of Progenitus. So I guess if you're going to hold my feet to the fire, I would say that's the most impactful card in this entire set, Relic of Progenitus. And I'd have Call Against Command a little bit lower. Uh, I know everyone loves the value, but it doesn't quite line up with this format the way it has with some other formats in the past, I think. Um, where you just always got so much value, you know, when you were destroying an important artifact and killing a Jace Verin's Prodigy or rebuying your own Jace Verin's Prodigy. Uh, another card that's very high on my list, by the way, of cards I want to see hit historic. Um, but it, it just doesn't have the same type of punch for me in what currently exists in this format. Yeah, I, there there needs to be an artifact deck that shows up. Mm -hmm. Or I think in modern for example you know the, the decks are so streamlined like you have to be pretty focused on getting the game over around turn four and that kind of just like shrinks the available uh creatures that have like power and toughness yep. you know it's yep. like you just have to play like two toughness creatures a lot of the time and three three toughness is kind of out of out of the scope but even then like you have lightning bolt to clean up like the the slightly bigger stuff right so Kolagon's Command always has a target, uh, it, you know, returning a Death Shadow or a Snapcaster Mage, like those are high impact things. Snapcaster's Histori a big one for sure that's missing. Yeah, Historic Historic doesn't really have those sorts of things, uh, and there isn't really that big of a focus on, you know, playing as many cheap creatures as you possibly can, right? Like the Historic decks are going up to Questing Beast, where Kolagon's Command is just like, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it does tag Embercleave, but it's also very rare that they're just going to like jam Embercleave into your open mana, you know, and usually when they do jam Embercleave, it's because you're dying. So uh, there needs to be like an artifact deck or the format needs to get faster. Like if there's more like mono red type of stuff mm -hmm. uh, or just prowess things in general, I think Cold Gons Command could be a lot better. But even still, like it is one of the pieces that uh, Grixis type of things have been missing as far as their ability to grind, but they also need to be able to get something powerful back with it. Right. Yeah, I think until that's unlocked, this is not going to be the missing piece for Grixis decks. Until we have a Snapcaster Mage or something along those lines, uh, this is just going to be another disappointing tool for us for the time being. Dramokus Command. This one's interesting because this was such a good card for its modality and its ability to like be the only non-creature card in your creature deck, oftentimes appearing alongside like collected company and function as their yep. catch-all. But the thing is the white creatures have actually gotten so good that they have catch-alls. They they have like Skyclave Apparition and the density you're now able to achieve with your collected company. I'm sure everyone's real surprised to hear me talk about collected company density and how important <laughs> I think it is. But it's it's true. If you don't have to weaken your hits with collected company, the card becomes much, much better. And a lot of these green-white decks are very much built around that principle of just maximizing your hits and understanding that there is enough in the creature suite in historic right now to get you out of every situation so while i see value for this card and its versatility i sort of think the green white decks are already doing an okay job checking this box i expect this to not be slotted into main decks immediately and certainly not in any large numbers i mean maybe you see like a singular copy here or there but i do think this remains a very strong sideboard options for dealing with specific things 
and it'll have to see its play mostly based on that. But this is kind of a victim of white creatures' success as of late and just how many things the creatures can do on their own at this moment in time. Yeah, it's it's also interesting because the white creatures are so successful, decks like Selesnia Company are base white, mm-hmm. splashing uh, for Collected Company, and that just means, like, you know, Luminarch Aspirant, yeah, over time you're going to get something that's big enough to fight something, but, like, Elite Spellbinder, Skyclave Apparition, like, these are pretty small creatures. Yeah, Yeah, and Dramokas Command was mostly, like, a base green card a lot of the time. And there were some exceptions where it was, like, humans with uh, uh, Thali's Lieutenant and stuff like that, where it does pump up your stuff. But for the most part, yeah, you you would expect to play Dramokas Command with, like, a 2-mana 3-3 or something and have it be good there. Uh, So if you're deck is a bunch of you know one ones and three ones then command is just not going to be great there like they still have love struck beast but you can't rely on just that to fight something yeah we've also unlocked a lot of uh like good fights recently i I think we found a bunch of ways to add that to our decks and you don't have to go quite as hard uh down the path of dromoka's command so i'm not trying to be entire i know it sounds like i'm very low on this card i'm not very low on it i just think it's a little bit redundant with some of the options we already have and there'll be a time and place for it it just isn't uh you know completely changing how these archetypes are built or anything you still want to be focused around creatures and collected company for sure if if there are uh like you know, mid-rangey creature mirrors, or if there are a lot of burn spells, mm-hmm. you know, then then this card gets like really, really good. Uh, but like, yeah, Colgon's Command, Dromoka's Command are two cards that exist, are gonna see play, but as of right now, it's not like, oh, this is a, a four of in this deck, it just makes this deck. Um, but they will see play over like the lifespan of this format, I think, which is why I have them in this like you know format staple bucket yeah i think that's a good assessment also i'm i'm gonna take this moment to point out i i don't think you should buy this anthology i think it's a really really bad buy and you you just do way better crafting the stuff you need because there's not a lot of four of you need here and the cards you do probably want multiples of are not rares not mythics so i don't think you're really getting your money's worth by buying this anthology i would almost certainly just craft what you need on the spot yeah, it depends. You know, if if you want to have like a full collection, then maybe buying it is easier than like, well, I'm going to craft like three Dramokas commands, two Kologons commands. I'm going to try out a Tarkus command. So that's a four of maybe I'll try out like two Ojatai's command. It's just like it it does get you pretty quick. You know, if you're if you're sampling a wide variety of things. But I agree with you. There there aren't a ton of cards here that are like, oh, I need a, this as a four of in my deck that you can't just then craft. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I've ever purchased an anthologies, period. I have not. I know for a fact I haven't. Okay, on to the role players. These are cards that, you know, exist, are going to show up uh, in in some spots, but, like, it's very easy for some of the cards on this list to, you know, a few months from now, someone's like, oh, that's legal and historic? Like, I, I forgot, right? And I guess after thinking about it, uh, one of the cards in role player is a Tarkus command. That's like kind of at the bottom of the list, but I'm going to start there because like maybe this should just be a staple. Uh, I, th- I actually thought about this a little bit more after I made the list where I think the rule decks are just going to play this. They may. Uh, that is possible. I've also heard people who are like big on a Tarkus command in combination with Dreadhorde Arcanist. I-, I think you have to be doing something pretty specific in that spot for that to actually be good enough. but. 
Arcanist has gotten some other green support in the form of Abundant Harvest recently too. So maybe there is some baseline starting to come together there where you could have a more aggressive take on like a red greenish mid range deck. Uh, I'm definitely going to sketch <laughs> that one out, but. So you said Abundant Harvest, which is, it is the card's name, right? I, I think uh, so. But then I was like, wait, I don't think I typed that. And like, sure enough, on my first list, I put Abundant Growth. Yeah, I got uh, you. There but you on go. The, on, the, on the second list, it says Abundant Harvest. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I've definitely messed that one up a couple times. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually pretty shocked I got it right on the first pass here. Yeah, uh, great job. Thanks. Anyway, uh, Atarkus Command with Dreadhorde Arcanist is possible. But yeah, you need to be like specifically very aggressive leaning, which... I don't think necessarily plays into the strengths of that card, but there were right. some like teamer prowessy type of things that looked kind of cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I will give it a look. I was playing a bunch of teamer recently um, with Dreadheart Arcanist and leaned a little bit mid range ish. I was using now I've forgotten its name, but the the green uh, Magecraft card from Strixhaven that gets plus one plus one counters. I I could see getting away from that card very easily and just trying to find aggression elsewhere with the help of Dreadhorde Arcanist. Yeah, but just since Gruul exists, and especially since they're moving away from Collected Company, I think that this this card is going to show up for sure. It's not going to be like, oh, well, maybe a red deck is good every once in a while. It's like, no, nah, this is this is a Burning Tree Emissary card, and you can play it with Hell Collector Landor Elves just the same as you can play it with like Swift Spear and or not Swiss, your Soul Scar Mage and Gitu Lava Runner. You know? Sure, yeah. So, so yeah, I guess I'll guess I'll move that one up. All right, but, uh, approved. And, anyway, the other role players, Ojitai's Command. How do you feel? I, I've never liked this card. I know this is a card oh. that you like. You would expect me to like because this is right up my alley. But I, I don't know. You like man. everything. You like everything except for the best mode on the card, which is like returning the small creature. Your deck just never have the small creature. Probably right? true. Um, yeah, this this is expensive for what it does, I feel like. And you can build around it and you can find ways to maximize it. And I am sure some number of this card will end up in some of my decks at some point. Uh, but I may not be very excited about it. I like that it exists. I can't think of a home for it. If, you know, Jace Prince Prodigy ever shows up, mm -hmm. I will almost certainly put this in some of my decks. But as it stands right now, and especially the way the format is set up, right? It's like, you're not really, you know, countering a creature with this, especially since there's like uh, a collected company in the same mana slot. And it just, it doesn't work out the way the format is set up currently for a lot of reasons. No, it's, it's just too expensive for what it does, I think, in contrast with the rest of the format. All right, this is, this is hot take. Whirler Rogue. Actually, I, I think this card is solid. In what context? Because I've seen it be very solid. Uh, you know, it was an important card in uh, the blue-red standard uh, scissors deck, the Insole Artifact deck. And actually, this is when we were testing for that Pro Tour, we we had that deck but didn't play Whirler Rogue. We were always playing Pia and uh, Kieran Nalar. And it, yeah. it was the sole problem with our deck. Like, if we had Whirler Rogue, our deck would have been fantastic. Yeah, because um, you get in for the last five instead of trying to like nickel and dime them. Yep. Yeah. Over a few so turns, so yeah. I've slept on this card before, so I try not to again. Um, but I don't I don't have a home for this right now in historic, do you? I've tried building humans in historic a lot. And I, you know, just like meddling mage is is a legal card mm -hmm. that even at the height of tainted pact, people were not even like, oh, you know, this is a thing that's like pretty good against them, right? 
uh, just because it, it didn't really have a home and people have tried humans and they haven't liked it. And I've tried a, a few different versions. Uh, there's one that showed up in Pioneer that was like 21 drops and two drops and then had Luris. And it's like, okay, that's kind of cool. But I think Whirler Rogue might be a, a pretty solid top end for them because a lot of their stuff is just like ground creatures. And this does the same thing it kind of does in the scissors deck where it like lets you get through for the last few points. This is a good answer to a sweeper or you, know, you just have this army in a can type of thing. Yeah. Now, I don't I don't think the humans is like tier one or whatever, but uh, this is this is definitely a thing that I would have liked to have access to when I was deck building. Yeah, you've seen a bit of it in, in modern doing that role. So it could come back and do the same thing here. Uh, I, I think you, there'll always be more human support, right? You'll keep seeing more and more humans as time goes on. So there might just be a moment where it's good enough. Yeah. And I mean, this would be like, you know, one or two main and maybe another copy in the sideboard mm -hmm. or something. And I don't know how much it actually moves the needle, but there were definitely issues with like you get you get swept and you're just kind of like out of gas, right? Yeah. So there's there's like meddling mage freebooter all of this stuff there's uh unclaimed territory ancient ziggurat like a lot of the pieces are there for something like that to be successful yeah uh next up acre wellspring uh i like you know playing out some artifacts and eventually accomplishing something maybe sacrificing some artifacts and eventually accomplishing something this fits in those strategies but has always felt pretty mopey to me especially in modern and i feel like a lot of the same stuff is true here hard to believe this will do much without its good buddy kci around um and that's never happening again so it, this is a card that can surprise you like it, it either does absolutely nothing or it is the core of some broken deck and it's also a card that when you have multiple versions of this effect it gets better and better because you're able to build around that so uh, I'm not discounting the possibility this does something. It just doesn't have much to do at this particular moment. However, there, there's stuff like Inspiring Statuary around, um, you know, Paradoxical Outcome can benefit from bouncing this and getting a fresh card. So the, the pieces have to line up perfectly and they don't right now, but maybe someday. The problem with the outcome deck is that as far as I know, it's still impossible to resolve a Mind's Desire on Arena because of the rope. I haven't tried. Um, because as soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, sweet. I can save my wild cards on this. I will, I will need an update on that. I have to hear where uh, storming off is at this moment in time. But yeah, if the rope isn't fixed, it, it's still unplayable for sure. Yeah, I did the same. And from, from building these decks, I mean, it's not, you know, normally you're like playing out your artifact, drawing a card, bouncing it with paradoxical outcome, and then just recasting it. If that's the case, we have uh, prophetic prism and stuff like that already. Mm -hmm but this also doubles as a thing that you can sack to sigh and and not run out of gas yep. so like also helps That's your nice. backup plan and it's not like you really need prophetic prism to do anything right so this this is basically just a strictly better version of that katie's in the chat mentioning uh doom foretold don't tell andrea Mangucci. he'll he'll immediately register it he can't get he's, that guy off the doom foretold he's, he's already on it don't worry that's <laughs> fine uh, next up, Intangible Virtue. I like this card. I've played it before. I have not looked at the bevy of token makers legal in Historic, but I still feel like no matter what, without something like Lingering Souls to give you, you know, like that consistent punch, right? Like they sweep yep. you, you just reload. Uh, I feel like this card is kind of lacking, and 
I, I guess I need to do more research on this because like maybe there's, you know, another anthem that kind of adds consistency to it. And there are some good token makers, but yeah, we, we don't have lingering souls. We don't have spectral procession, right? So card was previously banned, Gerald. I think this is disrespectful for a card that has hit the ban list in the past. God, uh, I forgot. I forgot that it was banned. <laughs> if, if it wasn't, if it wasn't banned, this is, this is like some butterfly effect type of crap, right? But it, that that block format was somehow handled very strangely and yeah they banned something just you know like a month before the pro tour or something like that maybe even sooner and granted this was my best friend's first pro tour and he top four the pro tour right so i i i'm wary about trying to go back in time and fix things but also this is a pro tour where i was just like i really don't like any of these decks and I registered an unplayable pile of crap and went 05. Uh, so I would like to think that if they didn't ban like Virtue and Lingering Souls, I would have just jammed that and I probably would have done fine. You know, quite possible. Uh, that deck was extremely, extremely good back when people still played block on Magic Online. If there was a reason it was banned, it was extremely powerful in conjunction with Lingering Souls. But again, that card's not here to save us. And uh, once it arrives, I'll give Intangible Virtue another look. They banned it before Bonfire came out, though, too, which is weird. It was it was like uh, Avacyn Restored, you know, was previewed, and then they banned it. Is is that what the timing was? I feel like it was banned almost immediately after Dark Ascension, but maybe I'm just rewriting history in my own head. No, because I feel like they, they let Dark Ascension go on, and people kept crushing it with, like, Virtue Souls. Okay. And then they banned it and it was like, well, we have we have bonfire now. Like, is this even an issue? Like hardcast bonfire is actually good against this deck and it's not really good against anyone else. So I remember thinking that that was weird. Yeah, that, that was back when we were very careful around banning cards, even in block formats. <laughs> so it was an entirely different age for sure. Yeah. And man, like a block format where you ban some stuff just feels so light on available cards. And that yeah. Pro Tour certainly did. Yeah, it did. Court Homunculus, Vault Scourge. Uh, yes, Tempered Steel is legal. This helps fill out the deck. And I think the deck was like kind of close, but I also don't think that these are the things that fix it necessarily. There's a lot of one drop creatures this deck has access to now, uh, be it Ginger Brute, Vault Scourge, Stupid Court Homunculus. I, I don't know that any of them matter, but there's a lot of them. That's all I'll say. There is a lot of them. Ancient Grudge good tool I've, I've played this card in many decks and uh, i'm sure it will see occasional play in historic like you mentioned no real artifact deck as of now this kind of makes sure that artifact decks shouldn't get completely out of control unless they're doing like silly combo stuff like kci nonsense um but even there ancient grudge can usually snipe a key piece and buy some time so this is just a good tool to have around i'm fine with this as the power level of this format keeps going higher and higher i think putting things like ancient grudge relic of progenitus into the format makes a lot of sense yeah you want the answers to be good uh, another thing that Grizzly Selvage is good in is the Paradox Engine decks because you find Emery fill your graveyard, can also find Golos as like a one-card combo. Yeah, sure. I, I think the Selvage is actually good there. And then Ancient Grudge out of like an aggro deck sideboard is very, very good mm-hmm. at stopping those sorts of combo decks. And if there's ever like, you know, the mono brown Ugin sort of thing where they're just all mind stones and uh guardian idols and stuff yeah oh this definitely slows them down yeah uh last role player uh this 
this made one of the deck lists in my article, and I just somehow forgot to put it on the list, but you reminded me that it is here, and that is Elish Norn. Yeah, I, look, this is one of the best reanimation targets of all time, I would say. It's it's seen play all the way back to Legacy and been cheated not only through reanimation, but, well, I guess there's still a form of reanimation, but like loyal retainers used to treat treat this card into play in Maverick decks, and it, oh, yeah. it, it's found a bunch of homes it is extremely strong when your plan is like split in two where you have this backdoor into Elish Norn and you're also creating a battlefield. And then it's usually fine as a sideboard reanimation target to decks that just fold to creatures getting minus two, minus two. And there is like goblins in this format. So I, I think they would be hit very hard by reanimated Elish Norn and would have to really struggle to play through this. So this will certainly see play out of those reanimator decks. The format has to like wholesale be about smaller creatures before this is the de facto main deck reanimation target. And I don't think Historic is quite there, but this is a card that has a way of surprising you when it's in play and how much it changes the flow of the game. Uh, even when you're not necessarily killing everything, it's shrinking a bunch of stuff still can matter quite a bit. Yeah, even this this against Gruul is is very good. Seems even fine, if it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't kill every single thing. It means that well, now you just have a bunch of toughness to block the rest of their stuff. Yep. People mentioning elves in the chat. Another good point. They have a very hard time playing through this. So. What what I want to do with Elish Norn is have it as like a spicy one of in my sideboard of like the Bant Nissa deck. Okay. Yeah. Just hard cast it. Yeah, because like you have it. like you have explorers and you have Nissa and yeah, then and all your lands are real quick. big. Yeah, that sounds cool. Okay, potentially broken. I have one card on the list. I don't really see how there could be a card other than this because everything is like mostly just fair magic cards, which is which is cool. This is definitely one of the more stacked anthologies that we've seen as far as you know overall total playables. But yep. tr Trash for Treasure seems scary to me. Granted, there's not a ton that you can rebuy. God Pharaoh's Gift is, is solid, but I don't know. You already had like refurbish. You need an artifact and play. Gate to the Afterlife is already pretty good. What else can you do with this? Uh, I have no idea, but I will tell you someone who does know is my friend Connor, who does a lot of behind the scenes work for us here on, on the podcast. He has not shut up about this card for probably 10 years now. I've had to hear about uh, Trash for Treasure, and I guarantee he's got like a stack of these somewhere in his house, like two to 300 Trash for Treasure, because he believes in this card as potentially doing something broken. And it's not hard to understand why, right? Like this is quasi tinker if you're setting up your deck properly. And that's one of the most busted cards of all time. So if you find things to cheat and to play with it, maybe this does something. Uh, there's like Bolas's Citadel out there, which is probably the most powerful artifact in historic. I, I keep forgetting that's an artifact. Yeah. I know that you can tinker for it, but I keep forgetting. Yeah, I would at least give that a look. I, I think that could potentially do some really strong stuff um you just that sounds construction around it that sounds good to me yep and, and maybe and even you can do your your jun type stuff where you're using grizzly salvage and uh have this kind of split game plan and uh trash for treasure into more mid-rangeous creatures as well as your second option like i, I don't know verderous gear hulk exists and you could find some very easy fodder to sacrifice to this uh along nah. the way no nah, i'm gonna try and kill him that that's fine i think that's acceptable as well and obviously like john still has the tools to do that as well you've got your uh storm card weather the storm right is that what it's called yep yeah weather the storm is out there to go ahead and combo off so i mean you have, you have tendrils too tendrils if you want to go there, there yeah. i was i was never very impressed with 
tendrils out of those decks or like citadel trying to play desire and stuff like that yeah it, it, there's smaller ways to do it i think and oftentimes you can just like build the deck and get there naturally if you're just doing wolf strider stuff so i, I want to take a look at this one this is interesting to me Andrew says you can loot away a uh, torrential gear Hulk, discard Opus, and then trash for treasure away the treasure into the gear Hulk, flashing back the Opus, which is like kind of tight. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could see that. Because um... when, when you're talking about trash for treasure, obviously you need an artifact to sacrifice, and then that's where the Iker Wellspring type of stuff maybe comes in. Uh, but yeah, Opus or just random treasure generators, you know, like that works too. It does. I mean, you, you got to get your gear Hulk into the bin in that scenario. Your looting has to be like perfect right off the bat. But um, all these cards are good cards. So I, I'm not hating on this at all. It, this seems completely reasonable. Um, if anything, Trash for Treasure is the worst card out of all of these. So if, if that's where we're at, I think that's a pretty good place to start. But they're going to trick me. Well, is this a rare too? Because no, this is an uncommon. It looks like it. Well, that's... OK, I, I don't know if that's actually true. At least at what I'm looking at, it's listed as an uncommon. Were there rarity shifts for this? I'm actually not sure. Yeah, so it was uncommon in Double Masters. It was a rare in original Mirrodin. Right. So yeah, maybe they just lifetime downshifted it, which would be good because uh, then I could justify crafting it. Right, and I already have my Magma Opuses and Gear Hulks, so I won't take the hit that bad if I choose to explore that route. Naturally. All right, uh, last category, overrated. I wish that we could have set this up better because, uh, you know, during the discussion of Kolagon's command, I, I feel like we should have been like, yeah, historic, you know, not format, but just generally historic pedigree, very good at doing these specific things. And then we could talk about all the, the bad stuff in the overrated section. Mm, but we kind of already, yeah. we kind of already poo pooed on it. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I posted this tweet that was, you know, just shit posting basically, where if, they brought Jace Fringe Prodigy to Historic. I would never play a non-Grixis deck. And then all, the, all so many people were just like, well, if, if they gave me Kolagon's command, that's all I would need. I'm just like, what are you going to do with that card? Like, without Jace, without Snapcaster, without Artifacts, like, the card is good because of context. You know, like, it was solid in Standard, but it didn't see the amount of play that it did relative to Modern, right? right. And right. that's because of the specifics of the Modern format. And Historic is more of an analog to old standard than than modern really so i don't i don't see cold god's command like you know showing up being busted there'll be a time and a place and then if we get some cool things to recur uh some folks mentioned luris in the chat which is like obviously a thing but there are a lot of ways to get luris back too already mm -hmm. uh so you know this this is a solid way to to go about it and do it and that's fine but it's not even like luris is recurring mistress's bobble or anything right so it's it's slow to be like pay three to get the Luris, cast the Luris. Okay, the Luris dies. Now I'll pay three and yep. then three more to recast. It's just like so slow that you should you should just be dead at that point, probably. I think so. I think so. And it, it really all still comes back around though for me is there's just not an artifact deck that we have to worry about in this format. And finding spot artifacts isn't good enough to propel this to huge amounts of play. Uh fine card, but not quite the format definer that people are making it out to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the relationship of K command and bolt is also important too. where the red removal Extra reach. in it, it. Well, it just 
in historic is like all shocks, right? And you don't want your deck to be all shocks because then you're just going to lose to a three toughness thing. Yeah. So like bold covers you against the slightly bigger stuff. And then you have K command to clean up the little stuff on turn three. And you don't, you don't have that in historic. I mean, your Rakdos, you could just play like more fatal bushes or whatever that, that kind of helps cover you. But it's, it's sort of the same problem uh, when you're just looking at like the red removal and the amount of damage that it can deal. Like, you just can't have your removal all do the same thing because then your opponent plays something different and you just lose to it. So Kolagon's command kind of makes that problem worse, at least when there aren't artifacts. Yep. So yeah, over overrated is is still a powerful card, is gonna see play, but holy hell, people love this card. Last overrated card, into the north. People like rampant growth. I understand rampant growth is powerful. We have exploring. Yeah, it's outmoded. That, that's what it just comes back to. Is it's outmoded. It was it was good at a point in Magic's history. And if I just gave you rampant growth, you wouldn't play it right now. You wouldn't even think about playing it. Into the North is not going to get your dark depths here. Uh, and if you need this type of effect, doing it without being down a card is so so much more worth it. Explore growth spiral that's that's how you do this game plan now and there's a reason for it it's because uh things like double-faced lands and uh you know decks generally just having much higher land counts you you don't want to waste your resources ramping like this because you don't have to you're just not required to anymore and that's that's a good thing it's not a bad thing it just means that this card needs to have a more specific thing to get and there's no super powerful snow land like getting faceless haven is cute but what do you, you I just don't believe you're ever really going to do that. So, It's also worth noting that a lot of these ramp decks are three or four colors, right? Yes. And there are so many good available dual lands that you don't want to into the north four basics. Like, we're back to playing some amount of basics because of, like, Yasharn and Fable Passage with Brainstorm and stuff like that. But other, without those cards, you would just play, like, one or two basics for Field of Ruin and Assassin's Trophy and then just all non-basics mm -hmm. so that you could actually cast your spells. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I just think there's a reason we build the decks the way we do, and uh, they're, they're better than their 2013, 2014 equivalents, and you don't need to go down this route anymore. Yeah, at first it was like, oh, wow, you know, this is, like, a potentially powerful card, and then it's like, yeah, never mind. I'm just, it's not even close to making the cut. Pass. So, this is our format uh, for Historic Anthologies 5. I am very interested in trying this for future sets. Definitely let us know what you think. Uh, give us feedback if you prefer this or like the top 10 list if you want to provide a reason why. Cool. That would be very helpful. But otherwise, we have more previews to hammer through. Somehow, even more new cards to talk about. Are we still on the same plan? Are we still going with Modern first? Yes, we are. All right, we have 10 cards, it looks like, for Modern. Yeah, shown today in a weekly MTG stream, which if apparently for the foreseeable future will just be throwing new cards at us. And, uh, you know, I'm here for it. I always love to see new Magic cards. Jerry, why don't you tell people about your informal poll you conducted prior to uh, us starting the cast? I asked uh, for folks to type one or two in the chat, where one is basically they are excited for this set, uh, for modern and what it can do to the format and two was stop making modern horizon sets and it was it was just the chat was just one two one two one two one two one two it was split yeah right down uh, the middle and, and then a lot of a lot of folks that were like 1.5 and those two aren't mutually exclusive which is definitely true but 
here we are. Yeah, I get it. I feel 1.5 too. Uh, you know, the idea of adding another Modern Horizon set to the format scares the crap out of me, but then you show me these cards and I go, sweet, new magic cards. And that's always going to be my reaction. Yep. That's, that's basically where I stand too. I mean, Modern is always going to have some issues here or there. Obviously, this exacerbates a lot of those issues, but... I don't know, over, over the last couple of years, uh, every set was Modern Horizons, right? There's like Oko and Uro and Field and all this stuff. And it's like, well, if that's going to happen, then the existence of this set happening once every couple of years just doesn't really make a difference, right? If Standard is having that sort of impact on Modern. And I, I think the goal is to get away from Standard doing that, right? At which yes. point, at which point, well, you know, I like I like the idea of a few cards here and there getting put into modern, but it's very difficult to develop a set like this uh, for a format as large as modern. So I would I would actually like to see something more along the lines of historic anthologies, but mm. for modern with new cards rather than like an entire set where it's like, oh yeah, like we missed this interaction or whatever, because there's just billions of interactions in the format. So are you when you when you say that, are you talking like bringing cards that are not presently modern legal but exists somewhere else or making new making new cards but 15 cards at a time and then selling them through some weird method or yeah secret layer ultra exclusive uh you know like a thousand dollars per right you know yeah, yeah. ideally <laughs> that's the best way to do it no i th i think you know reprints when they're applicable can do a lot of good work for sure but i think that they could benefit a lot more by creating new cards for the, the underpowered archetypes basically right yeah and there was there was talk on the stream that that was a lot of what their efforts were focused around this time i think it's a lot of what their efforts were focused around last time but they were kind of overwhelmed by how good they made the cards for new archetypes and it didn't quite work out the way they expected things to go um but there's this weird thing i do with these this set where i every card i look at i go well that could have been a standard card or that could have been a standard card. And I don't, I don't know if that's good because the past year basically has conditioned me to be like anything can be a standard card. <laughs> right. Because yeah. if Oro and Noko can be standard cards, then, you know, why can't any of these cards? And the answer is they all could be under that framework. But I think you're right. They're trying to get away from that approach. And it, it's going to lead to some weird discordant feelings as we work through this Modern Horizons 2 set, I think. All right. Is it go time? Let's do it. Uh, I said 10 cards. It's actually nine and a reprint, it looks like. But right, right. Still pretty relevant. All right, I'm just going to go from the top on Mythic Spoiler. Sounds cool. great. Dacon Shadow Slayer. WB, so Esper Mana, for a legendary Planeswalker Dacon. Zero starting loyalty, but a passive of this enters the battlefield with a number of loyalty counters on him equal to the number of lands you control. Plus one, Surveil two. Minus three, exile target creature. Minus six, you may put an artifact card from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. More trash for treasure. Look at that. All treasure. Yeah, where do you fall on this card, Gerald? I, my first reaction was, I think this could be a standard card. I think it's one of the cooler Planeswalkers we've seen in quite some time, but like kind of slow sorcery speed removal in modern that doesn't have inherent card advantage unless you ult it and then you still require some setup and granted like some of the setup is really good like minus in and putting your torrential gear hulk into play might be exactly what esper wants to do if if built around that idea but typically 
that's not how modern control decks are built. So it would certainly be a, a change for how we've done Esper control in the past. And there's no real like Esper mid-range deck that is interested in something like this, I think. So I'm kind of lost for an immediate home and also not of the opinion that this pushes power level hard enough that it's able to create its own home. Yeah, uh, I, I mostly agree with all that. The thing that I like about this is it's going to fit into some like mid-range or control deck. It's a blue card for force of negation, which they sometimes struggle with, mm -hmm. right? And I like the fact that on turn six, turn seven, whatever, you can just play this on the cheap and immediately alt it. So you get to play like this thing that is very cheap, but very threatening, and then still be able to protect it with counter spells or whatever. Now, you need a thing to be able to do with it. Right. Right. But even if you don't have something like, you know, you're not necessarily building towards that or whatever, you play this on turn six, it's like you get two removal spells out of it. Like that's that's super solid too. So this is one of those cards where I look at it, can't immediately think of a home for it because it doesn't slot into an already existing archetype necessarily, but it it does enough things that, I, I could see it seeing some play. I'll have to like go through the artifacts and see what is actually relevant to return. Like you, you mentioned Torrential Gear Hulk, and it's like, yeah, that's true, but that's also not a card that I want to be playing. So Right. And, and that's the problem, right? Is that either you're wholesale just cheating something absolutely ridiculous, and that's your goal, or you're trying to get the split value where you want to play it as a fair card. And it's it's very hard to think of something because of the speed and the context of the modern format that you can be happy with both sides of the equation. Uh, whereas like doing this in standard makes perfect sense because the games are slowed down. And even then, like the removal is very good. Whereas modern, your biggest threats often have haste or, you know, do their damage as soon as they enter the battlefield, a la Primeval Titan. So it, it, it's not really as efficient as a removal spell either. And that's what's really giving me pause about it. Yeah, it is, it is not the perfect modern planeswalker by any stretch, you know? Hmm. I also wonder if maybe maybe like affinity is not the right place, you know, because it's like, what, what are you going to return? Like an arcbound worker? Who cares? Right. Yeah. But it's like they they always could have used some sort of thing like this, like a card advantage engine type of thing that was immune to removal. Thinking about more mid rangey artifact decks, it's like Urza also doesn't necessarily have a big thing that they want to return. Yeah. Uh, this this gives you some redundancy for like assembling thopter sword for example or like if you're you know this is esper right so maybe you're you're playing the stoneforge package and your batter skull died or something it's like okay that that's okay i could see that happening uh paradox engine is another one but i wouldn't necessarily want it there so like yeah maybe urza i don't know all sounds okay ish to me and things generally yeah. have to be better than okay ish to to hit in modern yes but it's the perfect type of card right it like gets you thinking and you look at it just on rate and you're like, okay, I could see how this would be there in the right deck. And then, you know, you try some, some stuff out. It, it just like occupies your time, keeps you interested. Oh yeah. yeah. I think a that's the best magic dopamine. card, right? Like yeah. the one that entices you, but doesn't quite get there. Yep. Exactly. Uh, next up, timeless dragon, three dub dub five, five creature dragon flying plane cycling two. Uh, so you can discard it to search your library for a planes. It's not basics. You can get a dual land. Yippee. And eternalize two dub dub. Uh, so you pay that, exile from your graveyard, make a token that's a copy of it, except it's a 4-4. This is a shout-out to Eternal Dragon, which is... Uh, it used to be good, I swear to God. <laughs> it really did. It used to be good. Um, and this is 
like a more modern friendly where instead of just like hammering people over the head repeatedly with card advantage that costs a billion mana you just get like a one shot type of deal but even then uh this this doesn't hit for me no me neither uh i i love the card design and i would be uh hopeful that i could play it in standard i wouldn't even be sure of it though so i i i just think Ooh. I, I i just thought of a great bucket category for if we do an mh2 set review okay what is it and it is applicable to these first two cards is just the cube bucket yeah well that's a lot of what this set is supposed to do i think it's it's supposed to appeal to that kind of demographic and they're supposed to make sweet commander cards and it's it's supposed to be able to get off the rails a little bit i'm going to derail us one more time actually speaking of getting off the rails i don't know if you saw a tweet I made earlier this week where I was talking about how I would want to deal with these random odd sets going forward. And my plan was to basically classify everything that has ever been printed or ever will be printed as either core, or I think I used base as the term base or competitive. And then modern is every competitive set since eighth edition. Uh, Legacy is every competitive set ever. Standard is the six most recent competitive sets. And then all the, all the core stuff, because look, if you're going to keep telling us that competitive play doesn't matter and there's way more of the other type of players, they get the core game. It's theirs now. That's fine. Uh, but treat it like it. And now your commander sets, your uh, jump starts, your conspiracy, all of that stuff, your secret layers, your Walking Dead secret layers, all that stuff gets lumped into the base set bucket, but it's it's not part of the competitive environment. And then you have a home for stuff like Timeless Dragon, which I think is an awesome, awesome card. And apparently they're concerned it's too pushed for typical competitive play. And it's definitely not good enough for typical modern play. So now you have this sweet place to put it. Where this it would not falls. be good. This would not be good enough in standard. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. That, that's that's where I fell on it. People on the chat do, don't agree. By the way, uh, compare con- the, compare this to like Legion Angel. Yeah, it's right? not even and, close. It's not even close. Okay, okay. I I take it back. Manguchi would play this in his Doom Foretold <laughs> deck. If that is the qualification, the bar is pretty low. It's good. I would try and play it in standard, but ultimately it would just be like, wow, I got a planes and like had to spend some mana and, and I got a four four that did nothing and disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, not whatever, quite, not quite good enough. But you know, you know, what do you okay. about my proposal, though, you, you know what is bullshit. First of all, Please is that tell me. you are probably one of the people that I have like interacted with the most on Twitter. And you were like one of the first people I followed, which was which was hard because I had to like dig to find your screen name or whatever because you're always incognito, right? Uh, and this was this was like 2009 when I got on Twitter, right? And in order to see your tweets, I basically have to go to your page because they just never show up in my timeline. Why, and does, it's the, why like, does the algorithm hate me so much? I don't know. But like you're you're one of the people that I, I think I just retweet the most consistently, you know? I feel like you probably have me muted at this point. That's going to be my guess is that I've been secretly muted and you're trying not to own up to it right now. Uh, it's not think. Did you hear him think? It's the people heard. The people heard the wheels turning. Yeah, it's not. It's just not true. But <laughs> whatever you want to think, man, I've, you're you're one of the few people that I have followed consistently for over a decade. You know. Well, let me say to you, there I'm, were, I'm sorry. 
I'm, I'm there sorry. were people there. Well, I don't see your tweets anyway. So what are you right. apologizing for? There are people like Todd and Cedric where it's like, you know, I, I love you all to death, but like, I, I just got to unfollow you for a couple of years. You know, it's like you tweet, <laughs> I need a you, tweet too, you tweet too much about sports or whatever. And I would rather just unfollow you than, uh, than have to deal with this. Uh, yeah. Someone in the chat posted like, uh, show your top tweets first or whatever, like just fix your timeline. I do that. I do that. I, I do it constantly yeah they, they've just messed doesn't. with that it used to work i don't think it does anymore yeah use tweet deck well i don't use twitter on a pc if i'm if i'm on a pc then i got a million other things going on that are better than twitter so right twitter's on the small internet for me the large internet has much more useful things twitter's like i'm sitting on the couch <coughs> dying but sitting on the couch and i want to feel angry for a few minutes i guess i'll <laughs> yes. scroll twitter i need some hate in my blood so let's just go to twitter Anyway, uh, Rashad and Dockhand, you, one, two, Creature Merfolk, Island Walk, one, tap, tap target land. The Island Walk is so generous. I, I think every part of this card is generous. I, I think this is a very, very good magic card, uh, particularly in like the Merfolk context, which I don't know if that actually matters because you can give Merfolk a lot of good stuff before it's probably getting up to the speed it needs to be. But it, in fairness, has gotten that stuff. Like it's got for some negation now. It can now mess with your mana a little bit. But I think I'm more excited for this in just like the hate bears ish type scenarios. Another way to just mess with your opponent that tiny little bit, put them off balance. Uh, this is a powerful effect. It's stapled onto something very cheap. You know, you you use that island walk to maybe hold some equipment or something. And I, I think you have a really solid card starting to come together here. Yeah, er everything about this is generous. Uh, Merfolk wants ways to use its mana um, when they have Aetheral active. Right. Mutavolt, Mutavolt right. is decent, but like this, this is just awesome. Uh, and I think for people who didn't play when Rashad and Port was legal, it's like okay, you know, you're you're spending a mana. Uh, well, in Port's case, it was like you spend two mana two to mana. lock down so one of theirs. This is cheaper right? than Port. I mean, I, I think that matters a lot. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like you you keep people off of like four mana and then five mana, and then you get two of these out, and then you're like really locking them up, and it's just like, damn, you know, this this effect is really good. Merfolk really wanted uh, a great one-drop, right? And it had yes. a few kind of like mediocre one-drops. This is Mediocre this is, is awesome. generous, I think. Very generous. Yeah. This, this is awesome. This is automatic four of in, you know, any Merfolk deck, basically. Like, this, this is the perfect card for that archetype. Yeah, I, I just think this card is very good. Uh, among the best we've seen thus far. Grief. 2BB, 3-2, creature, elemental, incarnation, menace. When this enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card. Evoke. Exile a black card from your hand. I was like, oh, cool. Unmask. And then on on its face, it seems fine, right? But then yep. you talked about, you know, with Evoke, you get to blink this with Ephemerate and ooh. Starts getting a little messed Ooh. up, right? Like that sounds like a powerful, powerful opener where you've taken your opponent's two best cards, two best non-land cards, uh, have this 3-2 Menace ready to go on the battlefield at a fairly minimal investment. Like I, I don't think you've gone too far and and you're, you're getting another card off the rebound for Ephemerate. I mean, like that's a big hole. And granted, that's the only thing I have to do with this right now. I don't think it's the only thing this card ever does, though. And in 
you know, legacy context, you start talking about this in Dredge as replacement for Unmask. I, I think it's absolutely bonkers. Uh, you yeah, can, Black Creature for Icarid. Yeah, Black Creature for Icarid, uh, Bridge from Below Triggers. So it's just, oh, yeah. it, it's a lot. This card is a lot. And even if the Ephemerate thing is the only thing you can possibly do with this, uh, I'm still excited about its potential. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more you can do. Also, this is a cycle of cards. And if we're getting five free creatures, uh, Jerry, I mean, you, you know the theme. If, if it's free, it's me. And grief feels very, very free, very powerful. Uh, if Rashad and Dakan is one of the best cards we've seen thus far, this is the best card we've seen thus far in my estimation. You know what's funny is that thinking about that sequence with ephemerate and you you know they play like land pass and you play land and then evoke this thing i'm thinking about how it all plays out where it's like you, you don't like just evoke it and immediately ephemerate it and then they you know bolt it or force your ephemerate or whatever you evoke it and stack the trigger so that the yep. sacrifice happens last. So you take a look at their hand, yep. clear the way, and then you blink it. It's messed up. The more you think about it, it's messed up. And I see people in the chat saying Dom Hari was talking about it for, for Vengevine. Oh my yep. lord. Like that, that's a really cheap, cheap Vengevine enabler. Uh this card's gonna do stuff. And I I don't want to say I'm scared of it because I'm not scared of anything at this point. I am immune to being scared by magic cards because I've just been beaten to death by them so many times. But free creatures, I'm just saying how many free cards have successfully been integrated into the game without really messing stuff up? Wasteland Strangler, it's your time to shine. I guess so. Um, you, you get you get blinked. But wait, no, you, Wasteland you Strangler, that exile. That, that's their card. I think you have to get with Wasteland Strangler, right? I believe it's any card in exile. I'm going to take a look. Wasteland Strangler enters the battlefield. You may put a card. Oh, opponent it is opponents from exile. Yeah, yeah. So this is not Wasteland Strangler's time to shine, unfortunately. Oh, man. I thought I could have sworn that like all the processors were were both. Now, very specific requirements for the Wasteland Strangler. Listen, I don't think yeah, I, I knew lying on Wasteland Strangler to be able to find. No, no, to do in this I was I was just trying to build a deck. I knew I knew that it was devoid. I knew that it was not a black card, but like you need black cards to exile this. So you're playing black mana. And I just thought that, you know, then you would be playing Wasteland Strangler with Ephemerate and stuff. I was trying to build a deck, you know, but none of the cards work together. Let me tell you the deck that I have built thus far. And it is Tide Hollow Sculler. <laughs> no, it is four grief, uh, 16 of whatever else does this the, thing. The evoke cards. OK, the evoke cards uh niv mizzet what's our other five color there's like genju of the spires uh whatever other five color cards there are in modern and i'm just going to cast everything for free at the start three things for free hope it's good enough let's go dude i've played hypergenesis before yeah it's the same I'm, thing. I'm down yeah i mean seriously how, how far off is that like i don't know do you have to play some kind of mechanism to to really strengthen your mulligans and make sure it works like i, I don't think you want to do serum powder because there's just spots to play the colored cards but uh, I, am, I am sure you can put together if the other cards are anything like grief and at all disrupt your opponent or, you know, do anything nasty. That sort of seems good enough to me. Maybe it depends on what your follow up is, right? Like you, you shove and you nothing. You take I have a, no follow up. I don't even have lands in my deck, Jerry. It's, it's you, just you take, stuff. you take. Yeah, you take a bunch of game actions and then I, I would imagine that. 
I don't know, maybe these things don't like win the game on their own. Like if the green one is like make a three, three or something. And the red one is like, kill the thing. Uh, the white ones like, you know, make some tokens or something. It's like, okay, well, yeah. Then, then you just like ritual your hand out on turn one. You make them discard a bunch of cards, kill some stuff, make some tokens. Like, yeah, that's probably good enough to win, right? We'll see. Well, I mean, a lot of questions to be answered. This is going to be a very, very powerful cycle, though. No yeah. way to do this safely, I would say. It is. It is weird. I was initially like kind of skeptical about the the blinky thing, but I'm I'm definitely with you there now. Yeah, it just seems pretty easy to put together, and uh, you know, we'll we'll find other things to do with our blinks and. Sometimes we'll have the really busted draw. Sometimes we'll have the half busted draw. But either way, we'll be disrupting our opponent quite a bit. Yeah. Profane Tutor. No mana cost, but it's a black card. It's a sorcery. It has to spend two for one and a B. Search your library for a card, then put that card in your hand, then shuffle. Uh, this is just what kind of like bridges the As Foretold deck together and just makes everything happen. Like you get to search for a living end or an ancestral or a restore balance, like whatever you want. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fine. I also think you could legitimately play this card fairly. Like if you're just a turn four combo deck and you're trying to set up in your first couple turns and always, always, always go off on turn four, there's probably a profane setup for you there. Uh, I guess I guess the old school ad nauseum decks would have played right. this, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And probably the new Thassa's Oracle ones too. Maybe. It's worth a look. I don't think the only thing you can do with this is as foretold, uh, Electrodominance, Dreadheart Arcanist, whatever nonsense you want to get up to with this card. All that stuff's good, but this just might also be a, a good fair card too. And, and I think it's quite fine. Well, you say fair, but it's definitely being used to... Yeah, but field. fair is relative in modern, right? True. Unmarked Grave. 1B Sorcery Searcher Library for a non-legendary card. Put that card in your graveyard, then shuffle. I'm trying to think of what you can do with this, considering the non-legendary clause. Pretty it's not Hulk. like uh yeah i mean footsteps is great i like footsteps uh, that's yeah. that's the big one that comes to mind there's also like terastodon is another one that mess up your opponent's mana pretty badly and uh there's there's real things to do with it for sure i i think a lot of it turns out to be worse than like other all any type graveyard stuff um but maybe not maybe maybe there will be subsequent payoffs that'll be even better for unmarked grave and uh you know your setup's a little bit more consistent and you can always go and just get your unburial rights with unmarked grave so uh, pretty versatile card i i thought it seemed a little underpowered to me at first glance and i was like well maybe you could push this further and really call it into uh and be one B, just just be not one b but Baker pointed out to me that you could just then go get Stinkweed Imp, and now I'm completely off that <laughs> idea. So. Okay, that that's a good fix. Yeah, that is a good fix. Uh, Thrasta Tempest's Roar, ten GG seven seven legendary creature dinosaur. This spell costs three less to cast for each other spell cast this turn. Trample haste, trample over planeswalkers. This creature can deal excess combat damage to the controller of the planeswalker it's attacking. And this has hexproof as long as it entered the battlefield this turn. I was trying to think of scenarios where you could jam this into Neoform. Did you come up with any? I don't think so. But I do like the idea of, you know, like ritual, ritual, manamorphos, like kill you with a dinosaur. That's kind of dope. Kind of. The problem is I don't think this is going to kill it, you a lot of the time. It comes up short. It comes up yeah. short for sure. 
Um, my response to this when I first saw it was, I'm not going to waste a lot of time on this because I, I think ultimately the payoff isn't there and you don't get anything for it. The idea of Neoform is more interesting than anything else I've thought of. So, so maybe that's what you're supposed to be doing with this and you can actually rebuild that deck around this card. Uh, I would have to think about that a little bit more. Nothing immediately springs to mind um, for your your payoff there, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, anytime you're messing with mana costs like this, there's certainly potential for things to go wrong, but I'm not sold on this card as it stands. Mox Amber, Manamorphose, Allosaurus Rider. In. Yeah, it, it all works. Uh, can, can pitch it to Nourishing Shoal. That is true, and it's nice to have that effect be a little bit more redundant, so maybe that's how you get there. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's cute. It's interesting. It it is funny that like you do all this work and it's just, like take seven, you know. But maybe there's a way to do it. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about uh, Neoform in particular and like <laughs> thirteen mana creatures that we have available, and I actually don't know that there are any. Let's see, only one target you can hit. Uh, Emrakul, the Promise End, is our our thirteen cost creature. Nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that's going to get the job done. Yeah, probably not. Flame Tongue Yearling, RR two one creature Kavu, multi kicker two. This enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each time it was kicked. When this enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature. This card is good. I think it's got some utility as like clean up against the smaller decks and against prowess you know picking off one of their creatures and having a blocker around that does seem quite good to me i am not sure it does enough beyond that oh it's got the same text as flame tongue where if it's the only thing it just kills itself uh that is that is frustrating for sure so like it it, it reads it reads strong to me where it's like oh just like two mana two damage and you get a body like yeah. that, that's pretty solid. Two damage but, is very conditional, though. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm trying to think of scenarios where this would play out or like decks that you would want this in. And it's like, eh, I'm, I'm less high on it after the initial reading. But just like the the power level is there if this effect is ever warranted. I think the power level would be there if this was a standard card and in, in the context of modern, I'm less convinced that this is actually answering any of the problems that it's supposed to deal with. Like, yes, you may kill a prowess creature with it. It's never going to block effectively beyond that. And there's a lot of stickiness to this card that comes with the original Flame Tongue Kavu Clause, where it can't just be a beatdown creature. Double red is a lot to ask because now I think you're probably just the prowess deck. So playing this instead of one of your prowess creatures is not always the way to go especially if you're like on the play you've given up a lot of your inertia that way so th this card has some pretty severe problems i think uh the, the rr isn't that big of a deal to me because you're probably doing like seasoned pyromancer type of stuff also so i i feel like the the man is fine you can work around that but yeah it's like prowess creatures humans any tribal deck really maybe young pyromancer type of stuff stoneforge mystic mm -hmm. There, there are some things that exist where this is good, but it's like you can't you can't main deck this card in most modern metagames, no, right? No, definitely not. And then when you're talking about it as a sideboard card, is this the best possible sideboard card you could have? Like, I agree it doesn't block very well in a lot of those instances, but it, it's also a creature and gets recurred with like Unearth or Kolagon's Command and stuff like that. That's so true. Like, it good does point. give it a little bit of value there, but... Yeah, I feel like there are probably better sideboard cards. Maybe modern is going to be in a spot where it's like 
control decks don't exist and the ramp decks are all uh elvish was it rejuvenator mm-hmm. Why did I, I just blank out. i wrote about that card like <laughs> that that card was in my article that i finished last night i couldn't remember the card name yeah uh, enjoy getting old i forget, yeah, I forget if, if it's literally like, all the time if it's like that and sakura tribe scout and all the ramp decks then it's like okay this is not that bad you know but i don't know if we'll ever get to that point not sure either reclaimer elvish reclaimer not rejuvenator rejuvenator is the three mana one one like uh yeah 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 see even when even when i know we're looking for a specific card i still can't find it old yep. man brain u3 fortune's flame one you are two three legendary creature of freet flying whenever this thing attacks choose a number between one and five flip that many coins for each flip you win draw a card for each flip you lose this deals two damage to you if you've won five flips this way you may cast spells from your hand this turn without paying their mana cost why would you not choose five i mean maybe if you're at two life yeah if, like, if you're like I'm at s- the verge of dying and you're gonna be a coward dude i'm yeah i'm still choosing five like what the hell i wish this was a two four so i could stupidly trick myself into playing this over and over and actually believing it was like strong enough because you can start to put together the scenarios right where like if you if you win three flips and lose two this card isn't bad like it's, it's a pretty solid rate and if you ever hit the lottery then whatever that's not really what we're here for but you know if you end up a little bit lucky i think you're looking at a decent card especially if you're like life total agnostic or you can benefit from your life total being low something like death shadow i, I could conceivably trick myself into playing this card as a two four i don't think i could do it as a two three though i i think it's just too fragile and uh and, you know i shouldn't be playing it as a two four either but i i could have tricked myself yeah maybe this is this is a definitely a weird card it's like not almost certainly not a modern playable thing unless there's you know even if they're going to try and get into like casual modern or whatever it's like this this still needs like a lot more support so it's weird to just like start here but whatever yeah i I think this one's mostly not for us uh this falls under the base set categorization uh last card and reprint cabal coffers land bay two and tap it to add b for each swamp you control this is this is one of those things where you reprint a card that is beloved and it fails to see play and then people get sad although this is also a card that sees widespread play in other formats so you you the risk of that is like very heavily mitigated right people just oh yeah are happy people to see this this card yeah, people are just happy to see this reprinted so that the price goes down. And it is certainly notable that this looks like it is a mythic rare when it was an uncommon beforehand. And uh, people will still try and make this happen. Kind of like, you know, the Afrit. I'm talking about making like a tier three deck or whatever. Well, there's going to be some Urborg coffers decks that are like tier two, tier three. So that's kind of cool. Dude, Primeval Titan gets them both. I mean, you're basically set at that point. <laughs> is is that what you want to do you got you, you all could, the like, black mana you could ever spend oh uh, that is that's kind of funny actually um yeah i don't i don't know if you're supposed to do something with that i highly doubt it but this is one of my favorite magic cards of all time actually uh when i first got back into competitive magic i played mono black control cabal coffers mirari and i just have very fond memories of it i don't have anything to do it with it in modern but it's still a good reprint i think people are very desperate to get their hands on this card yeah, it, it doesn't matter if you have anything to do with it because these decks have always thrived despite there not being like a consensus best thing. Like people just do nonsense with this card. 
Yeah. It, it is very much the like you assemble coffers in a bunch of swamps and then, you know, profit or whatever. It's yeah. like, who cares? Who cares yeah. what the thing is? Another underpants gnomes. Uh, I, this is apparently a hundred dollar card as it stands right now. So very, yeah. very happy. It's been widely circulated and people can get their hands on it. I mean, widely circulated is, is maybe a stretch, but maybe it'll make a, a dent in the price. Like, well, there's there's 32 versions of it, so I'm assuming after we put out all the versions, there's probably enough of them around for everyone who wants one. And that's uh, kind of fair, but also uh, people are just going to upgrade their versions, right? Whatever. Yes, that is true. Uh that that is it for Modern Horizon so far. Th these cards are cool. I like thinking about these cards. I like talking about these cards. Yep. I will point uh, out that we felt the exact same way about Modern Horizons 1. Mm, fair. That, yeah. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. I, I don't want to be a hater. I'm excited. I, and I enjoyed talking about these cards with you. On to D&D &D Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Third set of spoilers for this podcast somehow. Third set, third format. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, three new standard cards today to talk about. Yes. I don't know anything about D, D, and i know that these are characters and i know that i'm probably going to pronounce their names wrong good i'm glad you have to do that not me uh lolf spider queen this is also my first time reading these cards okay because i exciting I, I did not check them uh 3bb legendary planeswalker for starting loyalty passive of whenever a creature you control dies put a loyalty counter on this zero you draw a card and lose a life Minus three, create two, two, one black spider creature tokens with medicine reach. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever an opponent is dealt combat damage by one or more creatures you control. If that player lost less than eight life this turn, they lose life equal to the difference. Uh, I think this card is solid. I love this card. I am not assessing his playability as it stands right now. I would like to know more before I do that. Uh, just on raw rate, I tend to agree with you. I think it feels solid to me. I think your immediate payoff is pretty good no matter what you choose to do with it. I think its weak point is the ultimate, which is still probably okay in some scenarios, but unlikely to be uh, really overwhelming. Although certainly I've been building decks lately that will benefit from having that type of effect if you're going super wide with things like pest summoning and that sort of shenanigans then maybe loth can have part of that uh you know slice of the metagame but just in terms of design i really like this i think it's a super unique planeswalker it yes. feels the way it's supposed to feel to me it it feels like a spider queen and uh you know sometimes that's enough for me to just be like i like this card and right now that's where i fall yeah, I think the ult is just weaker because of how easy it is probably to get to sure. with the with the passive if you wanted to, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about Plum here on the cast, and you have this very ready-made sacrifice outlet that can just juice up this card immediately, and uh, it's probably good that it's not just win the game on the spot when you ult this. Yes. Brunor Battlehammer, 2R dub, 5-3, legendary creature, dwarf warrior. Each creature you control gets plus 2, plus 0 for each equipment attached to it. You may pay 0 rather than pay the equip cost of the first equip ability you activate each turn. It, it is a dwarf, and that seems to be all it has going for it. 
Yeah, this isn't uncommon, so I don't think our expectation should be sky high for it. I will say that this type of effect, we're starting to get a lot of redundancy on it. So, uh, you know, the decks that like doing silly things with very large equipments keep finding more and more ways to do it. This one's quite expensive. Four mana is a lot for uh, like the the hammer decks, or even if you right. go back to what was, what was the old way we used to do it? Uh, our gentle armor was that it? Yeah, that that was a little different though, because like you also search your deck for it and attached it. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it, it's mostly hammer at this point. Uh, I'm sure that deck appreciates redundancy wherever it can get it, even if this card is on the expensive side. So could be a little bit of a bit player there, but would need to know more before i'm making any assessment of this in standard yeah getting this effect even at three mana i think would be uh pretty nice as like a top end to that sort of strategy right you know right uh can you do you know how to pronounce this last card i've seen this name a bunch i just have no idea how to pronounce it i have also seen it a bunch i have never heard a human say it i would just say drizzit but that's a complete guess so i'm sorry can you repeat that drizzit uh it's a it's a legendary creature elf ranger drizzt drizzt i'm just gonna sit here for the rest of the podcast and just yell out pronunciations of this name at you drizzt like with an s instead of the two z's and i'm not even trying the last name like forget it uh okay now they're saying no no i don't know whatever legendary creature elf ranger three 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 g dub double strike when this enters the battlefield creates a thing with a name, a legendary Gwen Hyvar. That one I'm actually like 30% confident in. A legendary 4 1 green cat creature token with trample. Whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than this's power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on this equal to the difference. So this is like a lot of, a lot of stats. You know, you get a 3-3 double strike for five mana. You get a 4-1 cat. If the cat dies, you get another counter. Uh, It's got this passive that lives. Like, it's a lot of stuff. So, I don't know. It seems close to me. Yeah, it's like quasi-10 power uh, from your five drop. I I think that's, that's there. Like if yeah. you're if you're that's all you're doing, that's what we expect from you. And sure, some of it's a little bit more fragile and it's it's split a little bit, but there is some upside to be found. Um th- this is a card that lives and dies on context. Like if there's a green white deck that is interested in this type of stuff, then this probably sees some play. But I uh I think just on raw rate, Drizzt is very close. There are so Drizzt. many there are so many <laughs> different suggestions for how to pronounce these things uh the cat's name is gwen apparently that that'll do okay yeah i I can pronounce that yeah interesting cards uh again like they don't resonate super hard with me because i i played D &D once and it was not a good experience because i probably should have been playing with not those people uh so you know it never took right and that's that's just how it is. So this is a set that is very much not for me. It is for a lot of other people, though. I don't I don't know if you're interested, but uh, the Discord is setting up my first D and D game for me. Have and fun. I, okay, so I'll take that as no. Never mind. Next topic. Well, you said you said next topic, man. I assume that you were moving on. No, I, I don't have anything else to talk about. I'm, I've I've said all my words for the week. Oh, fair enough. We we did say hello words. Uh, we did have three formats to talk about. So. It's kind of 
kind of a lot, you know? It feels like a lot. We'll be back with a lot more next week, I'm sure. It's just, it's it's the month of a lot here on the Arena Decklist podcast. Uh, I'm glad I'm taking a week off during this upcoming month because I will need the break. Okay, hold on. I have very important business. Okay. No one, no one has shotgunned writing about grief. Oh, really? Man, I should have done um, that. Yeah, my, my articles normally go up on friday right so like it's a ways off yeah i could potentially like write an article tomorrow uh if cedric wanted to do that but i i don't want to i (laughs) (laughs) i i want the six days that i earned damn it so Uh, yeah i I didn't write this week i was i was too worn down from uh, a week of announcements to actually put anything out so i i sat it out um but yeah, gr- grief could be a good one to pick up. I mean, it's just so hard writing about these things during preview season because that one in particular, I just want so much more context and I sure. want to know what the cycle looks like. But people want the information now, so we must provide it. Well, if if and when someone shotguns grief, I have until like Tuesday or Wednesday to shotgun a card. I Profane Tutor and Unmarked Grave are already ones that I could write about. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Mark Graves specifically, I think is in my wheelhouse and I could have a lot of fun with it. Uh, so I should be okay for next week. It should be fine. Yeah. More cards coming every day from this point forward. I don't think anyone, any of us will be hurting for a card to talk about because that's the nature of the set, right? As you can always like see the theoretical home because every single card is built with that theoretical home in mind. So yeah, exactly. Sign us out. Game. Good luck.